you. I'm so glad you're here this morning. Have your Bibles open. I'm glad I got a Bible, aren't you? The Bible's given to us for two reasons. Number one, to show us how to get to heaven from here. What to do with the sin problem that you have and I have every day. We think things, we say things, we do things that are wrong. What are you going to do about that? God is a holy God. Not everyone who lives and dies spends eternity with him. The Bible's very clear. There is just two places that people go forever, heaven with God or in hell without him. Matter of fact, a hundred years from this very moment, the only thing that's going to matter is where you live. Where you're going to be living with God in ev- forever in heaven, or you're going to live in hell without God forever. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants people to come to repentance. And the scriptures tell us that. The scriptures tell us that repentance is necessary for salvation. That's a change of mind. We're going to talk about that this morning. But God gave us the Bible so we could have everlasting life, so you could know how to be saved. Number two, it gives us the Bible to share with us what what to do after we're saved. What's right, what's not right, how to get right, how to stay right. It tells us how to be a good dad, to be a good husband. God made the first marriage. I sat with a sweet couple that are getting married here later uh, this year, and I'm excited for them yesterday and went through about a 45-minute explanation of the early uh, institution of marriage. It was started in the first three chapters of our Bible, two chapters of our Bible, and there's foundational principles. So God tells us how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife, how to be a good businessman, how it is to be a good son or a good daughter, a good brother, a good sister, a good citizen. All of those things are given to the Bible either in precepts, commandments, or in principles. And I'm glad I got a Bible. It gives me spiritual understanding. It changes me. And it certainly uh, tells me what I'm supposed to do, what I'm not supposed to do. I love the Scriptures. Now, the Bible's given to us one book with 66 books inside. The first 39 were written before Jesus came. The last 27 were written after Jesus went back to heaven. Today we find our reading in Acts chapter 20, Acts 17. Would you turn there with me, if you would, please? You did a great job reading it. Thank you, Brother Collins, for a great job on that. Now, the book of Acts is the fifth book in our New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are the Gospels. They tell us about Jesus, and they both, all four of them, record Jesus and record his life and his influence while he was here. The book of Acts, in the first chapter... Jesus goes back to heaven to be with his Father. That's where he's at right now. Where's Jesus? In bodily form, he is with the Father in heaven right now. So in chapter 1, Jesus goes up to heaven. In chapter 2, God sends Jesus' Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, down from heaven. And he comes inside people that have believed and received him. If you're here today and you have accepted Jesus and his gift, you have the Holy Spirit of God on the inside of you. If you're here today and you have not yet understood the gospel on God's terms, you have the Holy Spirit on the outside of you. Now, he wants to come in, but he's a perfect gentleman. He'll not barge his way into your life. There'll have to be an invitation. You'll have to say, I'll accept you. I'll I'll receive you. I'm so glad for the day that I did that. When someone took the Bible and showed me how I could have eternal life, and they told me from the Bible what I needed to know, and boy, I remember that night getting on my knees beside my bed and asking to receive the gift of eternal life from the Lord. It was the best day in my life. And if you have done that, you would say that's the best day in your life, would you not? There's no better day than the day that you begin your life with God, and you're now a child of His. And if you're here and you're not sure of that, that's why you're here today. 
God loves you. He wants you to have eternal life. And your life can be changed and your eternity can be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, the book of Acts, it is just, it's a narrative telling us about what God did uh, after he, Jesus went back to heaven, the Spirit came down and filled his people. And they began to share the gospel. In Acts chapter 13, in, in, uh, Paul and Barnabas, two of the first missionaries are sent out of a local church. We'll have missionaries with us, 16 missionaries with us next Sunday. And we're excited about hosting them and wanting them to come. And we'll learn more about their field and what they're doing around the world with the gospel of Christ. But the first two were sent out on purpose uh, by the church at Antioch. And Paul and Barnabas, they went on one missionary journey, 1,400 miles. And then they went out again. They didn't get to go out together because of a dissension that they had and an argument they had. And so they picked two different people and they went out. And one went to the island of Cyprus. The other one went up through uh, Asia and then went over to, into Europe. And well, let's look at this. You can see the map real quickly. I think the guys have that for us. Do you not? Are able to get that for us, Tony? If not, it's okay. We, can, we, can, we don't have to do it right now. It's no problem. Here it comes up. Here we go. We see the map. They were in Jerusalem, and they also, let's continue on. If we can, please, I, can, I imagine I can do that. Uh, they go up there in, in Antioch. There's a little bit of dissension. And so Paul and Silas make their way to Tarshish. That's where his hometown was. And then they go back to these little villages and cities. Excuse me, many of them are cities. And uh, they begin to pick up, they get Timothy here at this particular city. These are places they'd already shared the gospel. And they wanted to go south into Asia. And the Lord said, no, it's not time for that. And then he said, well, we'll go north into Bithynia. And God says, no, I don't need you to do that. Just keep going. And they ended up on the little port city of Troas. And there, God gave uh, Paul direction about what to do through a vision that he had seen of a man from Europe from Macedonia asking, come over and help in us. It's interesting, it wasn't an easy journey. Matter of fact, Europe wasn't really good to Apostle Paul. He got beat, he got ran out of town, he got some other folks from bad dudes uh, that, uh, that, that tried to rough him up and they moved him out of Thessalonica and then out of Berea. We'll see about that here in just a second. So, but he does go over, to, over to, to Europe there and he's in the Grecian section of Europe, and he goes in the, in the Apollos and the Philippi. There's some sweet things that happen there. Lydia and, and the Philippian jailer get saved there. Then he goes to Amphiphilus. He goes through that area in, in Apoll Apollonia and then makes his way to Thessalonica. These become great churches and wonderful Christians that are being made in each of these uh, places where the gospel is being shared. But now uh, there is problems, and everywhere he goes, there's a posse that's chasing him and causing trouble. So Paul says, you know, I'm going to go down to Athens, and he sends his other workers, uh, Silas and Timothy, back up to disciple the other Christians there. When we come to our readings today, he is in Athens. Now, Athens is a place where, thank you very much, you can take that off. Athens is a place where there was a lot of philosophy, a lot of, a lot of Greek mysticism, and things of that nature were going on. And the Bible tells us here that most of the people who live in Athens, they had someone else to do their manual work, and they just sat around in circles and talked about things, talked about ideas. As a matter of fact, they couldn't, they spend their whole day wanting to hear a new idea or a new thought or something else, someone else that had something. And Paul, when he was there, look if you would please at verse number 16. 
Now while Paul, and he's by himself, unless Dr. Luke is with him, now Paul waited for them while he waited for Silas and Timothy to come. But notice the rest of that statement. Would you read it with me? Just the next six words or so. His spirit was stirred in him. He said, while he was there in Athens, it was, he looked around and he saw the confusion of the people. He saw the darkness. He saw the plethora of gods that they had. They had many, many different gods. And he saw them and said, what? And it bothered him. It stirred him up on the inside. He was really frustrated by it. He said, what are these guys? What is going on? I don't understand. I'm, I'm, I'm bothered by it. It's so dark in this place of Athens. Nobody seems to have answers. They're worshiping gods of silver and gold and, and gods of their own making. And it bothered him. When's the last time you and I were bothered with the fact that someone doesn't know Jesus? That they are in darkness. Does it, does it bother you? You'll see here Paul says here in, in, verse, in, in chapter 17 that he was stirred in the spirit. In chapter 18, you'll see that he was pressed in the spirit. In chapter 19, he was purposed in the spirit. In chapter 20, he was bound in the spirit. What is the common denominator of everything I just said? Spirit. You know, when we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God, we're going to be sensitive to what's going on around us, what God may be doing. Listen, your flat tire is not about a flat tire. It's probably about something the spirit of God's trying to do. We have, a good, we have a good pastor here, Brother Corey Mears is here, but he's not here on purpose. He's supposed to be back in his church, in Apple Valley Baptist Church in, in Washington, but his plane got delayed. He came in from Zambia after being there 18 days, and he's got a group of folks that are with him here. And uh, he was supposed to be able to land from Zambia, get on a plane, and go back to Washington. They're having a big day today at his church, and guess where he's at? Right here. I said, Brother Corey, I am so sorry. We, Brother Paul Fielder went and picked him up at the airport last night and brought all of them and their luggage and their guitars and everything else they brought to, from Zambia. And, and uh, we made, made provisions for them last night. And I said, I'm so sorry you're here. He said, Pastor, I've been around long enough to know that the Spirit of God usually has reasons why these things happen. Things I want to do don't always happen the way I want to do it, so I can either fight God, get mad at him, or I can say, okay, what are you trying to do here? What's the Spirit of God trying to do? Well, Paul, he was stirred in his spirit. He looked around and he saw the idolatry and the problems and the darkness and the confusion of the people. Even though they looked like they had all that in a bag of chips, seemed like they had it all going on. They didn't have it all going on. They had more money than he, they had more time than he, but they did not have the truth, and it bothered him. Boy, all of us ought to be bothered. The fact that God, you ought to ask yourself, why in the world did God give you so much light? Why did God give you someone to care about you and give you the gospel? Why were you raised like you were raised? Why did someone, did God bring that bus to your house and invite you to come to Jesus Christ? Why did that friend or that neighbor or that co-worker invite you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ? You ought to figure that out. Figure that out and say, Lord, why did you put me on the planet? Why have you kept me here? What do you want me to do? Paul was stirred. And boy, one of the reasons I love about, uh, about March here at First Baptist Church this year, next year it will be in January, but I'm glad that we can focus on world evangelism. I'm glad that we can focus on why God put me. Why did he give you that job? What can you do with your time, your efforts, your energy? What's he want you to do with that? 
He was, it bothered him. I've got to hasten if we can, please, but if you'll continue. He was bothered, verse 16, when he saw the city wholly given to what? Idolatry. So he went into the synagogue. He, he, he debated with the Jews there. And from that, what he's talked to people there in the synagogue, some other folks got excited about it. The Epicureans and the Stoics. Those were like the Pharisees and the Sadducees to the Jews. They were two different philosophies of men. The Epicureans believed that if it feels good, you just do it. Just have, life is about having the next party and having a good time. Anything that's fun, just do it. If immorality is fun, do it. If drinking is fun, do it. If drugs are good, do it. If partying is fun, just do it. Whatever makes you happy and gives you pleasure, that's what the Epicureans believed. The Stoics, however, sought peace through nature. They were a lot calmer, and they were really trying to, to be at one with nature. They were the natural tree huggers of the day. They were the people who were looking for peace and, and just wanted to be quiet, and, and necessary pleasure was not their goal. It was just to be with one with people. That was their goal. But when they heard of this country bumpkin coming to town with this new thing called the resurrection of, about a person, about a Jesus and about a resurrection, they, they said, what will this babbler say? This guy's just flapping his soup coolers. Blah, 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 blah. What is he going to, what did he say? And they invited him to, their, to Areopagus, which was the place where they would sit with like the Socrates and the Plato's and the Aristotle's. And they invited him to come up on the mountain and share his ideas. And Paul took the invitation. What he said is what I want to talk about today. Let's look, if we can, at our scriptures. In chapter 17, I must hasten, but I want you to look at, if you would please, verse 23. Paul, verse 22, And Paul stood in the midst of Mars hills and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too what? He said, I just want to confront you with the fact, I think you guys have got, you're a little bit off your rocker a little bit there. Is what you're saying and what you believe, I, I think... You're, you're not exactly right about it. You're too superstitious. So he pointed out a problem that he observed. And notice he does give an example. Look at the next verse, if you would please, verse number 24, verse 23. For as I pass by, behold your devotions, and I see what you're worshiping and what you're dedicated to. I found an altar with this inscription. Would read the description with me? To thee, whom therefore you ignorantly worship. Him I declare unto you. He says, I've been walking around your city here, and I think you guys are a little bit too superstitious. You're even to the place, I saw one of your altars, it says, to the unknown God. Do you know the truth of the matter is? People in this world do not know often who the true God is. Now, let me just say to you, most people don't get mad and curse Buddha. They don't get mad and say, oh, Buddha. They don't usually get mad and say, oh, Mohammed. Oh, Allah. And they curse all his name. They don't do that. They curse the God of the Bible. When you get mad, you've done that. I've done that. We get mad and we don't say, oh, my Buddha. We say, oh, my. People get mad and they say, oh, Jesus and they'll say his name. I wonder why they say that name. Even in foreign cultures who are not Christian, 
They have a name in which they curse the God of the Bible and his son, Jesus. It's one of the proofs that he's the real one. God has put and written on their hearts that there is a real God, and it's the God of the Bible. But they didn't know. There are several things, real quickly, I want to share with you, and I need to hasten, what they needed to know about a God they did not know. Number one, they needed to know that he was the creator. Look at the next verse, would you please, in verse number 24. Read it with me out loud. Are you ready? God hath made the world in all things therein. Dwelleth not in temples made with hands. One thing they didn't know about the God, uh, they, he said, look, I'm going to tell you about this, this, this altar I saw, unknown God. I'm going to tell you who he really is. Number one, he's the creator. What you need to know about God, is it no wonder why evolution is so popular the world around? Evolution, in my opinion, there are too many loopholes, too many struggling things. You know, just to say, you know, it's like, it's like we understand that, that I believe the Bible says that God created everything. He made it. He, the, word, the evolution believes there's a big bang in the front end. The Bible says there's going to be a big bang at the end of the thing. The Bible says that God spoke the world into existence. It didn't start over evolution. Now, evolution, and, 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 it's, and it's true that some things evolve into their environment. Okay, uh, but if you believe in evolution, you wouldn't go buy a car. You just go out into the desert and just look for one that evolved, and just assume that after a while it's going to come to that fruition. You wouldn't go buy a watch. You'd just go to some pond or something and hope that that some amoeba turned into a watch. No, but when you look at a watch, you know someone made that. Now watches have evolved. Now they can count the steps that you have. But even the one that counts your steps, somebody made that. Cars have evolved. Now, you know, used to you do like this right here. Remember those? Kids wouldn't even know what that is right there. Just push a button. You know, used to do like this right here. Remember that? They're, they're a lot different now, but someone made the car that rolled off the lot this, this week and the one that made in 19, the, the, the Model T. Someone made it. It was a little evolved, but, but you know, the truth of the matter is God said I created everything. He created you. He made me. And he made us all in a, in a, with, his, with his word. And he formed Adam out of, the, out of the dust of the ground. And say, Pastor, I don't believe that. What, you want to value what you do believe. And you're going to find out when you start asking questions, more questions about evolution, it's a fairy tale with magic wand millions and millions of years. If you can just put enough years in there, people are like, well, I can't imagine what that happened. And all of a sudden, just we're supposed to believe whatever we're told. God says, I made it. And you know what's kind of interesting? And these people that were confused and didn't know about God, he said, let me tell you who the God is. I'm going to reveal, I'm going to declare him unto you. Number one, he's a creator. Number two, he's not very far from you. Would you look at your Bibles, if you would please, in chapter 17? And let's look, if you would please, verse number 27. That they should seek the Lord, if aptly they might feel after him and find him. Would you read the rest of the verse with me? Though he is... You know, God not only is the creator, he's available. He's not far from you. If you came in today and you're not sure if you died, you go to heaven, you can leave today knowing you died, you go to heaven. Because God is ready. He's close to you. You don't have to go to Bible college or go to seminary, theological school to understand what it means to have sins forgiven. 
because God's very close to you. One of the greatest blessings of being saved is to know that I can have the presence of God. In my difficult times of my life, I've had the presence of God. Since I got saved, he's with me. And if you're here today without Jesus, you need to know that he's close to you. He can be close to you. He loves you. He says, I'm going to tell you about the God that you don't think you know. I'm going to tell you, unknown God, let me tell you about it. Number one, he's a creator. Number two, he is, uh, he is not far from you. He's available. And then he's as close as the mention of his name. Isn't that great? Number three, he is the judge. Would you look at your Bibles again with me? And so we can hasten if we can, but I want you to look and see verse number 31. Because he hath appointed a what? In which he will do what? In righteousness. Uh, by that man whom he hath ordained. Who is the judge? Jesus. Whom he hath given assurance in all, uh, unto all men in that to he was raised him from the dead. I want you to notice number two, three about this God. Not only is he the creator, he made everything that is. Every tree, every plant, every animal. He made you, he made me, everything. And by the way, it speaks of it. He goes, the heavens declare the glory of God. His firmament showeth his mighty work day and to day. They show us and they speak to us. You know there's a God through creation. You know there's a God through your conscience. You know, there's a God through the consequences where you got caught and you thought, no one knew that. How did they get caught? There's a God in heaven. <laughs> you know, there's a God through Christ, through the calendar and through the scriptures, God reveals himself. He's the creator. He's not very far from you, and he's the judge. Okay, the Bible tells us very clear that we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He said, every knee will bow. You can be as vile and as, as hateful to God as you want to be, but one day you're going to kneel. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess you were the real God. That's what the Bible says. He is the judge. When someone gets saved, the Holy Spirit of God reminds them of three things. Number one, of their sin. He reminds them, number two, of, of his son, Jesus Christ. And number three, of their sentence, if they do not accept Jesus, judgment. He says that when the Spirit of God's come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness that's in Jesus. That's only one righteousness you can go into eternity with. And of judgment to come. Paul stands on top of, of Mars Hills and he says, look guys, I want to tell you something about a God you don't know, but you need to know. He's a creator. He's, he's near to you. He would love to save you. This is something the world doesn't know. They say, Pastor, why do we have a missions conference? For this reason. Because people don't know the real God. And you can't speak everybody's language in the world. And you can't get on radio all the way, but some people can. You can't get on every television broadcast. We have one of our missionaries, and through a radio and missionaries, maybe as many as over 4 million people could hear the gospel if they wanted to hear it on a radio or a, a television. Isn't that beautiful? And that needs to grow. You know what it takes to grow? Money, prayer, men, materials, media. Why? Because there's a God out there. He created everybody. He loves everybody. He's near to anyone who would call upon him. He is the judge of the universe. There is a hell. There is a lake of fire. There is a heaven. They're not rewards, but they're, they're, there is a place he's going he's to judge. If someone took someone's life, 
you and I, with any cognizant, we, we believe in justice. God is very just. He doesn't pass on sin. No one gets a pass. The soul that sinned, it, it shall die. That's why Jesus died so you could live. And then he told them about the resurrection. Once you look at the last part of the verse, would you please? You're doing a great job listening. Thank you. Verse number 30. It says, whereof he hath made the assurance unto all men and that he had raised him from the dead. Verse 32, and when, he heard, when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Others said, we will hear thee again in this matter. Howbeit, verse 34, certain men clave unto him and did what? Believed. I want you to notice real quickly that when he came to the resurrection, that stopped his sermon. Paul's sermon went to an abrupt halt. Whenever these people who were thinkers, they did not believe in the miraculous. And they said, that's enough. Stop, stop, stop. And someone raised their mouth and said, you big clown, you really are a babbler. You really are a country bumpkin. Where do you get such craziness of a guy dying and buried and rising again? Ha! And a mocker started. And other people said, hey, man, calm down. We'll come back tomorrow. I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. And then others believed. You know, the truth of the matter is why we ought to get the gospel out, because some will believe. Some will mock some will say, you know, I'm not ready today, maybe tomorrow. But others will believe it and receive it. Dionysus and Damaris are two people that God named who listened to the message and accepted it. I imagine there were hundreds of people out there. We know two of them that said, I'll take that. I'll accept that. Dear friend, this is why we gather together on a Sunday morning to get encouraged, to get reminded for those of us who have accepted Jesus, there's a world that doesn't know the true God. I didn't mention this, but I want to mention it. He said you'll have to repent. That means you have to change your mind. You have to change how you think about sin, about God's Son, and about His sentence against you. You have to realize that you're in trouble and you need God. I had to repent to get saved. Everybody who gets saved has to be repent, has to change. And say, you know what, That's, I was wrong. This is right. But this is a wonderful God that would make us, that would be near to us, that would judge us, but would also pay for our crimes by sending Jesus to die, to be buried, and to rise again. He died so you could live. He was separated from God so you and I would not have to be separated from God. And this is something the world abroad needs to know. Do you know it? Do you care that other people know it? I want to encourage you to be stimulated by those thoughts.